Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Today I'm going to be teaching from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. We're going to be beginning a new series called Disciples. I'll talk about it in just a moment. Today we're going to be looking at this text and looking at the fact that the first and most important thing we can say about disciples is that disciples embrace the gospel of grace. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it'll be up here on the screen. You can also uh, look at it in your, uh, in your booklet or follow along in your Bible. I'll be using the New International Version this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, hear now the word of our living, loving, gracious God. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So this week we're starting a new five-week series called Disciples. And what we're going to be looking at is how we grow as disciples, particularly how we're walking that out here at BRCC. Now, the principles are universal because it's not like Bay Ridge has its own little set of what it means to be disciples. They're universal for everybody. But every local church has to seek God and figure out how we're doing it in our context, how we're doing it as a community. And the elders spent a lot of time last year. We read through a particular book together uh, that talked about how to kind of boil things down. And we spent a lot of time talking and came up with these four core principles or this four part flow that we're going to be talking about which is love our god connect with others serve his church and reach the world that those four parts define how discipleship works for us as a congregation that we're called all of us to love our god we'll talk about what that means to connect with others to serve his church and to reach the world and so we're going to be covering each of these in this series but it's a five-week series, not a four-week series, because we're going to begin today with the foundation for everything else. To truly be growing as a disciple here, you need to be loving our God, connecting with others, serving His church, and reaching the world. But you can't do any of that until you've embraced the gospel of grace. You can't be a disciple until you're a believer. And the way we become believers is by the gospel. So we're going to talk about the foundation of the gospel of God's grace. Now notice in our text, Paul is telling Timothy, he says, Timothy, I want you to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So he's telling Timothy, you get strong and you get strong by grace. That's how you're made strong, Timothy. Secondly, he says, this grace is found in Christ Jesus. We don't find grace apart from Christ. It is always found in Jesus Christ. And so the foundation for the Christian life and for ministry, both of those, the foundation for how we come into the, the kingdom, if you want to say the doorway into the kingdom, into discipleship is the grace of God, but the fuel by which we grow is the grace of God. It begins with grace, it continues with grace, it actually ends with grace. So the Christian life begins with grace, it is sustained by grace, and it will be consummated by grace. It is all of 
grace. I was listening this morning as I came in. Uh, I was listening to a worship CD, and all of a sudden they started singing Amazing Grace. And I thought, think about that old hymn that's so popular. You know, it is by grace I, I was blind, but now I see. The, the Christian life began by grace. He says it was grace that taught my heart to fear, and it was grace that my fears relieved. And in the third voice, he says, look, I go through many dangerous trials and toils and snares. That's this life. And he says, but it's by grace that I do that. And then when we've been there 10,000 years, when everything is consummated, it's still grace. The entire Christian life is one that is built on grace. Now, grace is found in and through the gospel. We, we cannot separate grace from gospel. When he says it's in Christ Jesus, it is the gospel that points us to Christ and brings us to Christ. And it's not just that, well, that's kind of what we think. Paul has already pointed that out in this letter. These are among Paul's final words. Notice in chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, these are the verses that lead up to our text for today. And Paul writes this to his young disciple, Timothy. He says, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed to me as prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel. Notice the gospel. By the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel so notice it begins and ends with the gospel and there in the middle he speaks of the grace of god the niv has it down twice because it's only there once in the greek they're they're kind of breaking the greek down to to, to make the sentence a little more manageable but notice what you've got is kind of sandwiched you've got gospel and the gospel has grace in the middle and paul says this is what it is all about this grace in which we grow strong is the grace that is found in and through the gospel. And this isn't something Paul just says here in Timothy. When Paul, for the last time, met with the Ephesian elders, he said it was the last time he was going to see them, and he wanted to, to speak to them about what was most important. Here's what he said in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Paul was saying he knew he was going to die. He had been hearing prophecies that he... Trouble awaited him in Jerusalem, but here's how he responds to that. Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task which the Lord Jesus has given to me. And what is that task? The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul says, this is what my life is. This is what my ministry is. This is everything for me. This is my race. This is my task. I am to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Now, we have to remember, what does the word gospel literally mean? Good news. So it's the good news of God's grace that we were talking about. The good news is of God's grace towards we sinful human beings. It is grace to forgive, 
and it is grace to transform. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. It's grace that brings us in and makes us disciples, and then it's grace that helps us to become obedient disciples in our life. So Paul says, my whole life, my whole ministry, everything is me testifying, me pointing back to everyone. Look to the gospel of God's grace. So that is the foundation and the goal for everything we are to do as local as Christians and as a local church. Now this is essential and it's why we decided instead of having a four-part series we would do a five-part series is because you and I need the gospel of grace because it is the gospel of grace because we're sinners in need of grace. You can't just start out and say, well, I'm going to be a, a disciple. I'll start obeying better tomorrow than I did last week. Good luck. Not going to work that way. Paul, in another letter to Timothy, put it this way in 1 Timothy 1.15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Paul does this several times in his letter to Timothy. And when he does that, he's saying, pay attention. This is important. So here's what's important. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Notice a couple things here. Why did Christ come? To save sinners. And Paul says, who's sinners? Paul says not, I was the worst. I am the worst. As we saw in the last couple of weeks when we spent three weeks looking at the parable of the man and his two sons, the, what's usually called the parable of the prodigal son, the, the central transformation of the gospel, the central thing that happens for us in the gospel is I recognize I'm a sinner in need of grace. It's not that someone else is a sinner. I'm a sinner. It's not that someone else needs grace. It's that I need grace. Here, the great apostle Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. Because friends, the closer you grow to Christ, the more you come to realize your need for grace. The closer you get to him, the more you recognize and see your own sin. I am more conscious of my sin now than I was when I'd been a believer for a day and a half. Not because I'm less righteous in my outward conduct now. I've grown and matured in over 40 years. But, but, I recognize and see my sin more clearly now than I ever did before so this is the essence of becoming a disciple recognizing we're sinners in need of the grace which christ came to offer and there can be no discipleship until we recognize this until we've admitted our sin and received the grace that is offered us in christ so the christian life begins by grace discipleship begins by grace but the second point is the gospel of God's grace is also fuel for our discipleship. It's not just how we become a disciple. It's actually what provides the fuel and the energy for our continued discipleship. So notice in, in our text, in verse 1, Paul here is not speaking to someone who he's trying to convert. He's not even speaking to a young, new believer. He is speaking to a very mature believer. Someone who is, in fact, overseeing a whole group of churches. And notice what he says to him in verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, he's speaking to Timothy, who is his son in the faith. He's not Paul's literal physical son. But he's saying, you're my son in the faith. 
I discipled you. I trained you. You've been part of my apostolic team. And as a mature man, I am telling you, you need to be, present tense, you need to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He has got to continue to draw strength from the grace of God. Because we never move past our need for the message of God's grace, which gives us strength for our lives and ministries. And this is because grace not only forgives, grace transforms. Being a disciple, the word disciple in the Greek literally means a learner. But a disciple in the ancient world was someone who walked with their discipler, their master, who was teaching and training them, but also molding and shaping and changing their character, their soul, their conduct. One could not be a disciple and not be changed both inside and out. The grace that forgives is the grace that transforms. It changes who we are, and so we need it to be there in us. And so the gospel of God's grace is fuel for discipleship. And Paul goes on to point this out, because notice the next verse. Tells him, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to take and teach those to other men who are going to be qualified to turn around and teach others. So notice the whole context here is discipleship. Paul is saying, Timothy, you didn't just wake up one day and you were this way. I trained you. I discipled you. So I took what I had learned and I passed it on to you. I now want you, as you grow strong in grace, grace is going to fuel and empower you to take that and pass it to another generation. And as they are fueled and empowered by grace, they're going to take it and transfer it to yet another generation. There's four generations here in this verse, all of them being fueled and empowered by grace. All of this runs on the fuel of grace that is found in the gospel. The motor of discipleship and a local church runs on the fuel of grace. Always. And if you forget this, if the church ever assumes the gospel, you're in deep, deep trouble. If you assume the gospel, you are one generation at most from disaster. And then, then discipleship will become an external thing trying to be accomplished by human power and human ingenuity rather than by the gospel of God's grace. So we can never do that. And notice, Paul goes on in the coming verses, this is beyond our text, and he tells us that the gospel of God's grace is fueled to empower disciples to live obediently even in the face of suffering. He goes on in verses 3 to 6, and he says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Now there's a lot. Paul goes on and tells him, you need to reflect on this and God's going to give you insight. Well, we're going to do a little quick reflection this morning. One thing that ties all three of these together is that they are full of hardship. So the Christian life that he's calling Timothy to, the life of discipleship, is one of hardship. It's like a soldier 
who endures hardship, who gives up the things that civilians have, the affairs of civilian life, so that he can please his commanding officer and be prepared for war. It's like an athlete who gives up things that non-athletes can enjoy because he's trying to compete for the victor's crown and he can't cheat or he's not going to be allowed to win. Or finally, it's like a farmer who is out laboring to get the fruit of good crops. He says he's got to work hard to be able to get that, and then he gets to share in it. So whether you look at the Christian life as one of spiritual warfare, or you look at the Christian life as a race to be run, or you look at the Christian life as one of the Holy Spirit working to produce fruit in our life, it is all hardship, and we are empowered to face that hardship by the gospel of God's grace. Grace is the fuel that empowers you and me to face whatever hardships and opposition might come our way. And see, this is why it's important. Because as you and I are becoming disciples, as we are loving God and connecting with other believers and serving in the church and reaching out with the gospel, here's a secret for you. The world is not going to applaud. They're not going to pat you on the back. See, when you are becoming a disciple and the world says a man's life consists in the abundance of his possessions, and you say, no, that kind of life is the root of all kinds of evil, the world is not going to say, well, thank you for rebuking the very thing we live for. They're not going to say that. When the world tells you whatever wandering desires you have in the sexual area or any other area, that defines who you are. Live that way. You can't be different than that. And you say, oh, no, that's not true. God has created me differently than that. And in Christ Jesus, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. The world is not going to say, yes, preach that to us. They don't want to hear that. And so there is going to be conflict. Paul goes on in 2 Timothy and says, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, if you go to the Christian bookstore, that is not the Christian bestseller list. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear the secret of how to get out of it. It's not really a secret. It's very easy. Don't be a disciple and the world will get along fine with you. Be a disciple, there is no way to avoid the conflict. That's why Paul says, Timothy, you've got to be strong in grace because I suffered to pass on to you. You're going to suffer to pass on to others. And Christian tradition tells us Timothy was martyred for the faith. Paul was martyred for the faith. You're going to have to pass it on to another generation, who, by the way, many of whom suffered martyrdom. And they're going to suffer to pass it on to another generation. It is how discipleship works. This is why we never move beyond grace, because you cannot face the spiritual warfare. You cannot face the race that is before us. You cannot continue to labor and persevere on stony hard ground in our culture without the grace of God. But if we have the grace of God, we can continue to persevere. And so, friends, we never move beyond the gospel. It forms and shapes and fills us with the grace of God as we embrace it fresh and new each day. So we're going to be talking in the coming weeks about this process of discipleship. But always remember, it begins, it continues, it's consummated, it ends with grace. And just as, let me speak as a pastor for a moment, 
if you are ever moving and you go somewhere else and you're like the two couples this morning and you're standing up and you're contemplating joining a congregation, if they are not a congregation that preaches the gospel week after week after week after week, not only do not join, run. Run. You do not need any help in becoming a legalist. You do not need any help to try and justify your behavior before God. You will do that naturally. But you and I need to be reminded week after week after week after week, your status before God is by the grace of God. Your acceptance before God is by the gospel. Your life as a disciple is empowered by grace. You and I need that every single week. I've been walking the Christian life for 41 years, and I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and my needle is going to orient to trying to justify myself before God. And so will yours. Until that day we wake up in glory. That's the way we are. So we need this. So never join a congregation that does not preach gospel and grace week after week after week. If we assume the gospel, we'll lose the gospel. Now, how do we apply this? Well, the first obvious application is have I embraced the gospel of God's grace? I never want to assume that. This is where everything begins. And I want you to notice, Paul tells us in this very letter, Timothy was raised in a home that was saturated in Scripture. His grandmother knew the word of God and taught it to him. His mother knew the word of God and taught it to him. But Timothy had to personally embrace the gospel of God's grace. My children, thanks be to God, are all walking with Christ. But that's not because I'm a believer and Linda's a believer. It's because they personally saw their own sin. They personally understood they needed the gospel. They needed grace. Timothy had to respond personally, even though he was raised in a faithful family. So do you and I. Have we embraced it? So let me ask that question if we embrace the gospel of god's grace i'm going to put it out in a couple other questions do you and i understand that jesus came to save sinners see many people distort the gospel by saying well jesus is a good example friend we, we didn't just need an example because we were sinners and jesus said over and over again i didn't come to call the righteous which would have been a faint call because there were none I came to call sinners. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Do we realize that's why he came? He came because we needed him. We needed grace. Do I understand that it's not somebody else needed grace? It's me. I need grace. Do I recognize that? Do you recognize that? Have you embraced the gospel in faith? trusting that god will forgive your sins because of christ alone see and that word alone is so important i'm gonna throw up two questions in our in our catechism because when we sat down and we wanted to summarize what it means to believe and be saved by grace alone through faith alone and christ alone here's how we we answered that what does it mean that we're saved by christ alone through faith alone It means that we are accepted before God because of Christ's righteousness and atoning work alone, apart from any works or merits of our own. 
and that his righteousness is received by faith alone, apart from any efforts on our part. So what that's saying is, notice, it's what Christ did, not what I did. And when I come to faith, it's not faith plus anything. It's a simple reception of what Christ has done. Okay? That's how we are justified. That's how we are saved. Now, the very next question is, can our works contribute anything to our acceptance before God? And the answer is, no, they cannot. Because even our best efforts and works are defiled by sin. And because everything necessary to salvation is found in Christ. To seek salvation through good works is a denial that Christ is the only Redeemer and Savior. There is no mixing it in. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, said, My best prayer has enough sin to condemn the entire world to hell. My best prayer. See, it's a very simple thing. Here's what you contribute to salvation. Your sin. Your deserving hell. Your deserving the wrath of God. That's what you bring to the equation. That's what I bring to the equation on my best day. That's what I bring to the equation. And unfortunately, most days are not my best days. But thanks be to God, Christ's righteousness overwhelms my unrighteousness. Christ's mercy is greater than my sin. So when we say, have you responded to the gospel, this is what we mean. It means in the deepest, darkest recess of my heart, is there anything that is still trying to say, but I'm going to add to this. Because, friend, if there is, we're lost. We don't add anything to what Christ has done. It is perfect, fully acceptable before our God. And if you and I have embraced that, you are welcomed in with a full status as the child of God. And it doesn't get any better than that. That's the gospel. Have we embraced the gospel? I plead, I urge with every person hearing me, embrace the gospel. It is God's free gift of salvation. Next question for most of us here who hopefully have embraced the gospel. Am I growing strong in the grace of God? Because the gospel I just mentioned that was preaching is by grace. But you don't get in by grace and then stay in by works. You don't get in by grace and then stay in by your own effort. We get in by grace and we continue by grace. So am I growing strong in the grace of God? For one thing, if you're a Christian, the first means of grace, I'm going to talk about means of grace here for a minute, the first one is water baptism. As a believer, have I been baptized in water? Not to earn salvation. It has nothing to do with that. That's already given to me. But it is a means of discipleship. Remember when Jesus gave us the Great Commission, told us, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What's the first thing he told us to do? Baptize them. Okay? Because it's a means of God's grace. Have you been baptized in water? When When you came to faith, the initial act of obedient faith is... I want to be water baptized. I want to receive the covenant sign of being part of the people of God. If you have not, please see me, and we will rectify that very soon. Okay? Have you done that? But beyond that, am I growing strong in God's grace, uh, in the, the means of grace? Uh, and by, 
means of grace, what we're talking about is this is the, the activities God's provided where as we walk in them, these habits of grace, we're not earning favor, but we are drawing close to Jesus. We're being shaped and formed by the grace of God. It's filling and fueling us. And this includes things like the best place to look is actually Acts chapter 2, which we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. But in Acts chapter 2, we're told that the early church was built up by getting into the Word and into prayer. Do I regularly spend time talking with God, meditating on His Word, talking to Him, spending time in prayer? Because if I don't, the engine of my discipleship is going to run out of fuel and it's going to sputter down the road. Not, not that I'm not going to be saved, but I am not going to be transformed. Friends, we are in. Remember what Paul told Timothy. You're in this battle. You're, 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 it's, it's like running a race. You, you've got to have fuel for the battle, fuel for the race. So am I doing that? The four areas in this series that we're going to be pointing out, real briefly, and if you notice on the thing there, notice how they feed into one another, because that's what it is. It's, it's a cycle. It's like when the motor starts running, it just keeps feeding into itself. Am I loving our God? And in particular, what we're talking about is, am I regularly gathering for worship? Okay, you're not getting brownie points by gathering for worship, nor am I. It's not like Jesus is going to say, well, one more time and you'd have made it in. But if I don't gather for worship to express love to God and to receive God's love back and to be part of his community, you are not going to grow in your discipleship. You can't grow in your discipleship from your barca lounger or whatever else sitting on me. You can't do that. We do it as we gather together. Am I connecting with other people? The church is the context. When, when we are united with Christ by faith, we are also united with other believers in the church. And we grow. You, you were created for community. And so was I. Because our God, the triune God, is the divine community. And so he made us for community. Am I connecting with other people in fellowship? Am I serving in the church? As Bobby read this morning, when you became a believer, you were graciously gifted by God. And the church needs those gifts, and then you need to receive those gifts from other people. Plus, the very character of our discipleship is that we serve. Are we doing that? And then are we reaching the world? Because the world needs the gospel. And there is no other organization going to do it as strange as it seems, look around. You're God's method. That's it. It's us. It's not somebody else. It's not some rock star somewhere. It's us. Are we reaching the world? But you know the funny thing is, the more you love God, the more you want to connect with his people. The more you connect with his people, the more you want to serve his people. The more you're serving his church and his people, the more you want to reach the world. And the more you're reaching the world, the more it feeds right back into I want to worship and love God. And so on. And it just keeps feeding. Am I engaged in this by grace and receiving grace? So what we're encouraging in this series over the next couple of weeks is let's grow in grace together. And, and remember, as we're going through this, it's not about a formula. It's not about earning brownie points. It's about walking in the grace of God, receiving the grace of God, growing strong in God's grace, and taking what we've been given and handing it on to another. We have the great privilege next week. I want you to know it's a rare thing to be able to take a man and a wife and say they have served the church for five decades.
That does not happen real often, folks. It's a great privilege. They've been, they received the gospel, and they've been handing it on for decades. And I get to watch them, and the same thing with Tommy and Ellie, and watching even down to grandchildren receiving and responding and walking in the gospel. That's how it goes forward. I don't know when Jesus is going to return, but my prayer, my plea is let's be engaged in keeping grace first, keeping the gospel first, and taking what we've been given and handing it on to the next generation. So whether it's five years, 50 years, 500 years, I so want this church to be faithful. I want us to be found faithful when he returns. Now what we're going to do is we're going to come to the table. And this is the table of grace. The Lord's table is a primary means of grace. It's one of the reasons we want to gather and one of the reasons we come to the table so often. Because here we confess the gospel together. We're going to visibly represent the gospel in just a moment. And we're going to repeat those words that are words of the gospel. And here we feast upon the grace of God together. If you and I eat in faith, this is more than bread and juice. We're receiving from God himself. Christ is here to feed you the grace of God and to strengthen you and to encourage you. So if you're a believer, if you understand those things I look at and you say, yes, it is nothing for me, it is all of what Christ has done, then we encourage you to come to the table to receive, to eat and drink the very grace of God that is given to you in Christ Jesus. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that all your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you that it is all of grace. We thank you that this is a table of grace. Lord, come, meet, and minister to your people. Holy Spirit, fall upon this sacrament, fall upon your people, that we might, by faith, eat and drink and be strengthened by the very grace of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As you get the elements, hold on to them and we will take them together in a couple moments. And again, if you need gluten-free, raise your hand and that will be brought to you. Father, in taking this bread this morning, we are proclaiming that we are your sons and daughters. But Lord, we make this proclamation not based on our righteousness, not based on who we are by nature, for by nature we were sinners, separated from you, 
deserving of eternal wrath. But Lord, by grace, You have saved us. You have raised us. You have made us Your own. By grace, we are sons and daughters of the living God. Christ was broken that we might be healed. And so, Lord, in gratitude, we thank You that we are Yours by grace. Take and eat. Lord Jesus, we are Your body, Your bride. We are Your disciples. We have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, a Lamb without stain or blemish. You have made us perfectly righteous before our Father and our God, and we desire to obey. Lord, would you cleanse us from all unrighteousness and thought and word and deed. Lord, we are grateful for all you have done for us, for bringing us to the Father, for making us righteous for beginning the sanctifying work in us. So we lift up this cup, the cup of thanksgiving, and we say thanks be to God for the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take and drink. Holy Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Lord, we confess that we are not saved by our works. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it is that grace and that faith that fuel our desire for obedience. But Lord, when you saved us, you regenerated us by the Holy Spirit. And you are working to conform us to the image of Christ. And so Lord, our heart cries out that we want out of gratitude to obey you. We want, out of gratitude, to be formed, to be more like Jesus. But Lord, we know we cannot do that in our own power. We know that even your law cannot accomplish that in us. But Holy Spirit, we know you can. So come, fall on us, empower us, work in us to conform us to Jesus Christ, the very image of God. We are thankful for all you have done for us, O our God. Would you send us forth, Lord, as your disciples? Would you send us forth with a mouth full of the gospel, hearts full of gratitude, hands full of obedience to you by the power of your Holy Spirit, fueled by grace. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, let's stand together. And we're going to have a concluding word of benediction. And as always, I remind you, when we do the benediction, it's not just a ritual. God promises to reach out and bless us as we receive it. So let's, by faith, receive God's blessing, His grace, to go forth as His disciples. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. And we all receive by saying, 
Amen. Go forth in the blessing of God. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.